Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Forest Focus, the Wembley Dreams over after Nottingham Forest were knocked out of the FA Cup by Manchester United last night. So all eyes now turn to Liverpool in the Premier League on Saturday. We're going to discuss both those games in some depth in the company of, first of all, Reds fan and TNT sports commentator Darren Fletcher. Fletcher, we haven't seen you since the Super Bowl. You've come back with a tan, as Greg noted. Uh, are you well? I am. It's because I've not been invited since the Super Bowl. That's why I've not been on. <laughs> <laughs> God. On the, put me on the back foot with him. He always makes this point, Greg, doesn't he? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to say Whenever he asks, I say yes. So the last time you asked was around the Super Bowl. So that, I've been asked today. Like, here I am. So I'm glad to well, be I'm you. very pleased that you're here. You're looking very well. You're looking looking lean. So, Greg Mitchell, you say you're looking like a pale ghost. How are you feeling today? <laughs> I'm all right, yeah. I'm glad Fletch is on, you know, finally. Good to see him back. And uh, ready to go. Uh, you can kick us off, Greg, as normal, since uh, I often come to you first. What were your over- thought, overall thoughts on last night, emotions coming out of the ground? Yeah, I mean, it's always disappointing, isn't it, to lose in the 89th minute and especially a bit of a dubious goal. But I thought we were really good first half, matched them. I know it's not the Man United of old, but it's still Man United. They've still got some quality players and... Yeah, that first half we came off, all four sides were clapping them off and it looked sharp. We looked sharp attacking again. It was just that final that final touch that let us down a lot of the times or shot straight at the keeper. But we matched them. Any team could have won that. And, you know, luckily it wasn't for league points, but it is, it's always disappointed to go out of the cup, you know, at this stage. Yeah, I mean, come on, after the game last night, Fletch, we did a show and I kind of thought like stuff that we're normally good at in front of goal, we weren't so good at. We're normally pretty decent finishes and we weren't. And then it's just that that set piece thing that we'll get into. But I'm more, especially after a night's sleep, I'm more upbeat about it now than I, I was last night. What, what are your general thoughts before we kick it around a bit more? Well, I agree with with everything that Greg said. I mean, I, I, I thought there were really nice moments last night. I mean, the biggest disappointment for me watching that was I thought Manchester United were really there for the taking. I think it was a real opportunity missed. Um for a team that started the season in the Champions League, to see them play to that standard, you can see why they've got problems. I just, you know, I thought Marcus Rashford was was way off it. Didn't see enough from Bruno Fernandes. The big players that you expect to perform for them didn't. And a lot of that was down to what Forrest did. So, you know, make that point as well. But I was just really disappointed that they didn't seize the opportunity to get through to a quarterfinal um, because I think last night was a, a fantastic opportunity. Some of the football continues to impress. And I think I'm, I'm never one to kind of look at 90 minutes in a vacuum because I think that's a dangerous thing to do. I'm always more of a global view, I think. And I look at them now and I know they've got frailties. And I know they've got issues and I know they can't defend set pieces and, and, and there are problems. I get that. But I think they're coming from a much better platform to build on than they were at. 
And I think if you think of a side that came into the Premier League purely about survival last year, getting bodies behind the ball when they worked it out, getting people behind the ball, nicking games 1-0, nicking a goal on the counter, defending really well, being organised. I think the progress they've made to where they are now as a team, on the eye, the way they play, the attacking intent they've got, the ability they've got to be a threat against any team in the league, I think is a real sign of progress. So I'm impressed by where they are. I still think there's work to do, but I think everybody down there would acknowledge that as well. The disappointment comes from the fact that that was a Manchester United team last night that was very beatable and Forrest weren't able to beat them. Uh, good to have so many people with us. If anyone's volume's different to anyone else's, give me a shout. As well. It sounds fine to me, but sometimes I get comments after saying it's not. So just picking up on that, Fletch, before I come back to Greg, one of my disappointments was around the subs. Like, like you say, I thought the game was there for the taking to go at them around 60, 65 minutes and make more positive subs, which I think Nuno's generally done. Even at Villa, when he made those changes, perhaps yeah. recognising that, you know, Nia Kase probably was a mistake, potentially, playing left-back. But last night, I thought, Perhaps being more proactive, is that fair? Do you think maybe that one's on Nuno a bit, even though he's done a good job overall? Yeah, look, I think all those decisions are on Nuno. Um, I think he's a little bit between a rock and a hard place at the moment, in as much as he knows he's going to need his whole squad if they're going to stay up this season, based on what might be down the road with the points deduction, etc. So I know it's nice to get wrapped up in, let's go help for leather in the FA Cup, but I think there's a bigger fight to fight this season in terms of, making sure they stay up. So I think he's a little bit conflicted about load and minutes, making sure he's got the players who he needs for the league matches. So I understand it to a point. I think one thing they never really picked up on last night was Amrabat kept drifting into central midfield and Dallow did for a period as well. And we're always outnumbered in there, particularly second half. Origi, whether he'd been told to stay wide and not track the Manchester United fullback into the middle or whether he just decided to do that. I thought that was an area of weakness that we never really got to grips with. Um, but I, I I don't know. I I think there was enough on the pitch at that point. But I, I do tend to side with you that putting Callum Hudson-Odoi on a little bit quicker. I, I thought maybe even Dominguez had a role to play last night, you know, in the middle of the pitch just to help us keep the ball a little bit better when we were really struggling. Um, so, yeah, possibly, possibly. But, I mean, hindsight's 20-20 vision. I still think they could have nicked it themselves with what they've got on the pitch, and then we would be having an entirely different conversation today. Yeah, Dominguez was probably the one for me, because I thought Yates and Danilo had really good first half, but just were tiring, and I think you're spot on you about know, Matt, it. Just on that, I, I, that was just, I mean, look, I don't, I don't watch every game. I, I'm not able to watch every game because of all the commitments you, know, you and Greg do. I'm not sure I've seen Danilo in that position play as well as he did for 45 minutes last night. I thought he looked top class. I thought he looked the best central midfield player on the pitch for 45 minutes, and everything he did I thought was was really slick and really sharp and he looked really good. My own personal experience of him was was that's as good as I've seen him for 45 minutes in a forest shirt as a central midfielder. Yeah, first half. Uh, against West Ham, I thought he was really good, but against Villa, he was not good. And that's that's an issue that he's, the highs are high and the lows are a bit lower to Nilo. But he's a young player and I think, you know, iron the creases out over time, certainly. Um, let's talk about the goal then, Greg. Uh, there's so much debate around a lot of debate around Turner. I mean, I'll put my hands up and I say I thought he had a good game and wasn't at fault for the goal. But um, what was your take on it? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't have to put your hands up, should you? He, he did have a good game. That guy, I mean, Mikey was on a mission last night, wasn't he? He's Mikey's got a different still on a mission. Yeah. I thought it might have been the uh, Shandies, but maybe not. <laughs> um, that goal wasn't his fault. I mean, come on, that little nick at the end 
two or three yards away from him. I know it, it looked bad from in the stands. I thought, oh, no, Turner. But I've watched it two or three times this morning and you can't blame him for that. You know, defensively, again, maybe we should have got in front of him and it was just that nick. If, it, you know, from that distance out, not many goalkeepers are saving it. They're not. And I know everyone's been bashing him left, right and centre and deservedly so sometimes, but I just don't think it was him last night. It was just, it was just one of those freak goals. Mm. Yeah, I'd bow to a goalkeeping expert if they tell me his positioning was wrong. But uh, from what I yeah. saw, if he's hit that close to him, then I don't think there's much he can do. What was your take on the goal, Fletch? Going all the way back to Ilanga giving the free kick away. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen Casemiro do that on more than one occasion for Manchester United in Champions League. He scored a goal like that, I think in Munich earlier in the season. Bruno Fernandes is one of the best in the league at putting the ball where he needs to put it. In a situation like that, I think when the movement's good and the, the touch is where it is, it's difficult for a keeper. On his overall performance, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think he did anything that he out of the ordinary. I mean, he made a few saves, but that's what he's there to do. Mark Crossley said to me a while back, he said, if anybody calls me a good shot stopper, it's almost insulting because I'm there to stop shots. And he stopped shots last night. You know, the fact that he didn't make a... A clanger was good because he has, and we all acknowledge that. But there still is a fundamental problem that every time the ball is at his feet, it's a clearance. It's never a pass. It's a clearance. And in the modern game, you can't restart football matches like that. And he has a fundamental issue that he, he's no good with his feet. In the modern game for a team that wants to play out from the back, it's essential. And if you think about it, second half, we actually resorted to rolling the ball to Felipe and he hit the channel to Tywo Awani, which was Sunday morning stuff on the restarts in reality. They were just playing channel balls for 15, 20 minutes. Now that has to be because there's no confidence in the goalkeeper to restart it properly. So I think it's fine. Yeah, I think he makes a few saves, but I just think there is an absolute fundamental weakness in the team when he's on the pitch that they can't get away from. And I think it goes back to... You should have known that before you signed him. I think that's where you question the decision to take him in the first place, that he wasn't a good kicker in the MLS, he wasn't a good kicker at Arsenal, and he's not a good kicker now. And you knew that before you bought him. So really, that's on the recruitment team for bringing a goalkeeper in that can't do that part of the game. And I think, you know, it, it's it's whether people like it or not, and and people will say, look, first and foremost, the goalkeeper's got to make saves. Agreed. But being able to play with your feet now when they scout goalkeepers and they come through academies and all that is almost put on a par with it. So if you've got a keeper that can't play, you have a problem. And every time he plays, Forrest have that problem and that's never going to go. So I think as a fan base, we have to accept it. If the manager is going to go down that route, then I don't think there's a great deal we can do about it. But that is a fundamental weakness in him that's not going to leave him, I don't think. And we saw it last night. Every time he swung his leg back to kick the ball, it's a lottery where it goes in terms of distance, direction, the lot. So that's always going to be a problem. And he, he can't get away from that. Yeah, we didn't learn anything new about him, certainly. Um, and I don't, I mean, uh, we haven't heard if Matt Sells was injured or not. There's a room he was, so hopefully, hopefully not. But yeah, Turner was... A solid seven, but um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't change anything that we didn't already know. Um, about about the offside issue, Greg. A lot of people are highlighting, <clears throat> including Morgan Gibbs White, Virgil Van Dyke's yeah, gold out goal in the Carabao Cup final. Very similar still photo when you look at the two. 
have you got a gripe there or not? Or do you think the yes I have after, get to it? No, I have after the weekend. Just consistency. Whether neither were or both were, it's consistency. Again, you've got VAR and you're making two decisions that are different on the exact same scenario. You know, red tinted glasses on, maybe he was affecting play, pulled one of them back. And there are issues. It's again how deep you look. There's always something. But with VAR and with us down at the bottom of the league, they just don't seem to give it as much time. And that's not a that's not a conspiracy. It seems to be happening week after week. We just don't seem to get the rub of the green with them, especially when it happened at the weekend and it went the other way. So that's that's my major thing. I think it neither probably were. If we'd have scored that goal and it got disallowed, we'd have been absolutely fuming. But it's consistency. And that's the thing that the Premier League have got it or VAR have got to sort out because it just it's so frustrating when you can always look back at a, a decision with all this technology and went, well, why was it different that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you've got a point around consistency. Mark Crossley was highlighting it on, on Twitter. But like you say, if it was at the other end, I'd be fuming if that was disallowed. So for me, I think you have to look elsewhere. Just a quick thank you to uh, Andy8492, good username, for gifting a Forest membership, folks membership. If you want to grab that, that's very kind of you, Andy. Uh, <clears throat> we'll come back to that comment. Um, What's your take on the set, the whole set piece thing, Fletch? What do we do around it? Because there's Can, I, can I comment on last night first before we do the set piece? Because yeah. I would change, I changed the word consistency for competence. Mm. Competence. Now, I've got I've got kind of good news for people. This is just not a forest thing. I get to see this around the Premier League week after week after week after week. This is not a VAR issue because all the VAR is is a video image and footage of what's happened. It works because it shows the same pictures to the fella in the room than it does you and me. It's not the system. It's the inability of the officials in our game to know how to officiate certain situations. It's a competency issue, not a consistency issue. They clearly don't know how to interpret the rules. Rules are quite clear. They're written to the point that they are forensic. It's that or it's that. And you either know or you don't. Now, the referee at the weekend in the Carabao Cup final reads the ruling on that situation differently than the video assistant referee last night. That's a competent is- competency issue. That's not a consistency issue. And I think at the moment we have some referees and, and officials in our game who are really good, elite. And I'm afraid at the bottom end of the barrel, there are people that consistently make mistakes. And, and we, we, can, we can kind of cover this off until we're blue in the face. But these are just rank bad decisions by people who should know better. Because if they can't interpret the laws of the game, the way they're supposed to be interpreted, what chance have we got? Because that's their role. So this is an issue. This is this is this is more than a consistency issue. They clearly see the rules differently among their own fraternity because that's why they keep interpreting them differently. I had a situation the other night. We did three games in three nights. And I was at Anfield the night Liverpool played Chelsea. Chelsea had two penalties. The second one was certainly a stonewaller. Van Dijk went straight through Nkunku, kicked the back of Nkunku's leg, and the ball went. 
Absolute stonewall penalty. Referee was Paul Tierney. He didn't see anything wrong with it, nor did the video assistant. The following night, I'm at Molyneux. Paul Tierney's now the referee. Uh, sorry, the VAR. And there's a penalty award for, um, for a foul that was very, very similar to what we'd seen the night before. Now, as a referee, he didn't think it was a penalty. As a VAR, he thought it was because he gave it. It's the same guy with the same incident on successive nights. That's not consistency. That's competence because you're seeing the same thing. So I think there's a problem through the game. And I think it has to change. I think Howard Webb is doing his best. But I think it's just a problem. And, it, and it, it's happening everywhere, every week. But there are more bizarre decisions now than ever before with VAR. Before VAR came in, it wasn't like this. The odd human error, the odd offside that they might get wrong. But in general play, the referees were getting more decisions right than wrong. Now it's this bizarre smorgasbord of, of random decisions that nobody understands. And it has to be now down to competency because it's happening every week, all the time multiple occasions every week where people are seeing things differently based on what chair they're in. That's not a consistency issue. That's a competence issue. And I'm sick to death of it. And it's spoiling the match. It's ruining the game. It's creating fictitious score lines and, and happenings and results because it's not the way it should be. And it's got to change. And the people at the top of the game who, who manage this have to get a hold of it, do something about it, because it's absolutely killing it. And, and there's no excuse for it. They've got time. They've got videos. They can see it. They still get it wrong. It's, it's absurd. It's laughable, really. It, it, it's, but it's not funny at the same time. Because it's just wrong. I'm absolutely fed up with it. The other thing about it as well was they scored on 88 minutes. I don't think the game caught, uh, kicked off again till 94 and a half or something. And we got five minutes injury time. We must have lost three, four minutes of that injury time because it wasn't all played. We went to about 97 oh. or something. It was the timekeeping of it is the most simple part of the game. Stop your watch, restart it, when it then start your five minutes plus the two because it was 88 minutes. It just doesn't work. They're just, again, I think it's different if it's at Old Trafford. <laughs> I think you get every one of those minutes back and that that's the frustration for me. Hmm. It, it, it's all over the place. It really is. It's all over the place. Do you need to re simplify the offside rules? Focusing in on that, because that was. A, a, do you need to just go back to what it was? Because it feels like, you know, players running to, into zone X over you zone see, Y. Well, and rules. If you're a referee, you've got to know how to interpret the rule. I mean, there's no good rewriting stuff. I mean, just just understand it. That's your job. It's like a, it's like a it's like having a driving lesson from a fellow that doesn't know the highway code. I mean, that's what he's there for. I mean, there's, there's fundamental things that you need to know. If you're a referee, you need to know how to do. The laws. And surely today they've got to sit down in a room as a group, play the two decisions from Sunday and last night and ask the question, why have you seen it differently? What have you seen? Why is that different to that? Why? Because it, this is affecting people's livelihoods. These are big financial implications if you play in a quarter final at home against Liverpool or not. What's that worth to you as a club? 
All, these are big. These are big moments. It's not just a case of oh well, we'll try and be better next time. This is this is big boy stuff. This is this is long trousers. We're going past the short trousers stage. You got to sit down now and work out why. And and the thing is, I don't think we're seeing an improvement, are we? I don't think it's got better. I just, if, if, if talk, anything, more of it. It's got worse. It's got worse. We talk about it more. <laughs> What's yeah. happening? Who's who's yeah. who's got a hold of it to say, look, this can't happen. Did you just this? This just can't happen. This is on us. We've got to fix it. Who's fixing it? Yeah. No, it's definitely got worse this season. Around penalties especially, it's ridiculous. Some of the penalty decisions are an absolute joke. Quite a few of them. Let's talk about the big boy stuff that we can fix ourselves or try to. Set pieces, Greg, is just such a consistent problem now. Um, some reporting today that the set piece coach we brought in uh, isn't coaching set pieces anymore. So regardless of that or not, we have to fix it. Do you have any faith that we can fix it when now with 20... Six league games into the season, or not? has that ship sailed? Are we like Leicester no, last course, season, basically? No, of course we can fix it. Work on it more. <laughs> Analyze what goes wrong. You know, get in the the uh, studio and check out what's happening. And you, of course we can fix it. It's not just individual errors either. It's the way we set up. Sometimes you can see it, and and the attacking uh, free kicks as well. You know, we had one last night. I think Gibbs White probably. A, about 26, 27 yards out. Nothing comes from it. Might as well have a shot if we're just going to dink it in and hope someone gets a soft header on it. It just seems void of ideas when we do get those rare opportunities in the final third with a free kick as well. But defending them, we've just got to get in the classroom today and just look at, analyse what's gone wrong and where they can improve. Of course, they can change what's what's happening. Of course, they can. I think the thing that I don't get, Fletch, is especially around attacking set pieces, like you look at other teams, you look at Aston Villa, obviously they've got a great set piece coach. Arsenal have got this ridiculous record with the set piece coach. But there's a lot of mixing it up and a lot of imagination from other teams. Like obviously United did it last night when they hit the bar. Newcastle picked us off when they did it. All our set pieces last night pretty much were hit on the six yard line. And they're so predictable. They were decent balls, a lot of them. I'm not blaming Morgan Gibbs White. But surely there needs to be something more sophisticated and subtle in our set-piece game, doesn't there? Well, if you think that Arsenal over the various competitions this season have scored 19 goals from set-pieces, I don't know what the Forest number is, but it's nowhere near double figures. So just by those situations, and Forest generate enough set-pieces in a match for it to be a strength if they were any good at it, but they're not. I'm not necessarily sure if we're not turning set-piece coaches into kind of mythical figures that they don't really need to be because all of these set-pieces are there to see. I watched Arsenal in Porto with a, a setup where they've got three really deep in the penalty area. And then those players run across towards the near post, cause confusion. Declan Rice or Saka puts the ball into the near post area. And more often than not, Gabriel gets his head on it and it, it creates havoc. But they did it every time then against Newcastle, caused problems every time they did it. Well, it's there. Just look at the video, see where everybody's and have a go. Just have a go. You don't need a a guru to work out. All these set pieces are there for everybody to see. I think the defensive issue is is more concerning, that you, you can't be that vulnerable at set pieces. It's a real issue. And I, I have no idea why that is, um, why, that, why they concede so many goals from set pieces. I think you can forgive them the Newcastle goal because that's wonderfully executed. And last night, the Manchester United one where they hit the bar, it's perfectly executed. Very difficult when it's executed to that level, no matter how well you're set up that if the passing is as crisp and accurate as that, 
they're always a split second ahead of you because they know what, they, what, what, what they're going to do. And it's hard to defend it. I've got no problem with that. My issue is when a, a lump goes into the penalty area and for some mad reason, it's the opposition head that's on the ball and you're all over the place. I think that's basic stuff. Um, and it's certainly an area where they've got to get better because it has cost points and quite a significant amount of them over the course of the year. If I'm, if I'm going to defend Nuno, though, and his coaching staff, look at the transition that they've made from them coming in, what they inherited, the style of play, the setup, what players individually and collectively were being asked to do. And they've had quite limited time on the training pitch to, to affect the changes. They can't do everything all at once. I think this is a process. And he's going to be acutely aware as well that they've got a problem. But I think you need someone that's dominant in the air, don't you, for a start? I mean, I look at the, the centre-backs and for all of Murillo's ability, he's not going to remind anybody of Terry Butcher. His strength is on the ground and reading situations, not in the air. To this point, I don't know what Sells is going to turn out to be like, but the goalkeepers that we've had aren't exactly dominant on crosses. And you look at the Forest team in general, they're not the biggest team, most physical team. So... In those physical areas, you can probably see an advantage more for the opposition than you can from a Forest perspective. And I also think as well, we play in a league where the set pieces are so good now, the accuracy from the, the taker is so good now that if you've got any kind of weakness, they'll find it out. It's it's just, we see it all the time. You go around the Premier League and you see it all the time. And we had the situation at Everton earlier in the season where Sean Dyche was blocking the goalkeeper. There's so many things you can try to make it better. I just don't see a great deal of creativity from the, the set-piece coach at Forest. They all look the same to me, whether I'm missing something, but they all look the same. So if, if he's not coaching set-pieces now, there's possibly a reason for that. I don't know, but I, I've not seen either an improvement or a reduction in ability to do anything since he's been there. I don't think he's had any impact whatsoever, has it? I mean, you, you see more of this than I do, but... No, no, nothing, nothing visibly has changed. The only no. thing I'd say about Gibbs White, he seems to be getting slated about it all. I'd keep him on corners from the right-hand side. I love how the, the out-swinging ones, they always seem to be the most dangerous. But other than that, get him in and around the box or on the outside of the box ready to smash it if it comes to him. Because, like say, someone's just said in the comments, we're, we're scoring less than 5% from a corner. So <laughs> straight that's away, you've got to go, come that's on. That's a massive problem. That's yeah. a big problem. Because a corner should be an advantageous situation for you, shouldn't it? Mm. And if it's less than 5%, it's not. Thank you for that person for the figures, because that helps. But it's it's actually not a position that you want to be in. You've probably got a greater chance of scoring in open play than you have from a corner. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not saying. Uh, Gibbs White's dead ball delivery wasn't so good early in the season. I don't think it's been terrible of late. I think it's like Fletch says, probably just that, that lack of variety is frustrating. And also, I think Fletch is right. Like Sometimes I look at our marking setups and he's like, I saw Gibbs White was marking. It might have been Casemiro or someone early in the game. Like there's that physical disparity, and then Danilo's on him for the goal. And we aren't the biggest team, so maybe you address that in the summer. I don't know. I don't know. But there's obviously a lot of food for thought there. Um, let's just take a quick word to thank our sponsors, Trent Navigation Saturday uh, pre-match build-up barbecues uh, in the food court, and then uh obviously bars inside and outside and you after the match you can watch Luton versus Villa I assume because it's on uh TV and that is a very big game 
potentially with implications. Okay, we shall talk about that later. We'll we'll come on to Liverpool uh, uh, next, but here's a quick video of the match day experience at the Trent Navigation, and we shall see you in 17 seconds. What are you smiling at my ad reads for, Fletch? You are now Mr. Corporate. And then whenever I see the gravy go on top of the steak and ale pie, it makes me hungry. So it's coming <laughs> towards lunchtime. So. It is coming towards lunchtime. Yeah. You're dead right. Yeah. So one of the things I put on uh, for talking about is going into Liverpool, are we glass half full coming out of last night or glass half empty? Not necessarily just taking into last night, but the, the last few games that we've seen, Greg, how are you feeling in just general terms about the game? And we'll get into a few specifics. For once, I'll be realistic <laughs> and not a complete optimist. That you know, as much as I dislike Liverpool, they're probably the best team, one of the best teams away from home as well. They are such a strong unit. They've got injuries, and we can work on that. Uh, we've got the home crowd that you know hasn't been at the same levels as last season but it's Liverpool if you can't get up for this game I mean what can you get up for and it's just going to be so tough we can't have a single mistake at the back because they'll pounce on us we can score I mean I'd say we probably will score (laughs) but it's just those defences those defenders have got to have the games of their life and you just never ever know I mean I'd snap your hand off for a draw now with them and then go into this run after but you know, we managed to do it last year. I look at the Man City game and think we somehow got a draw against the best team in the world. Um, you just never know, but it is going to be the toughest game of our season so far. And if we can get something from that, like, wow, it'd be it'd be a good one. I think it's it's even tougher than last year. I think Liverpool are a better team than last year, even with their injuries. But uh, yeah, I am excited. Three o'clock on a Saturday against Liverpool, that's such a rarity. Hmm. And that's what I was going to hit on, Fletch. Obviously, we don't know if Salah and Nunes are going to play. They'll have quality coming in, but ostensibly it is probably a better time to play Liverpool. But is that irrelevant just because they're so good and you just have to... If we play, you know, a 9 out of 10 game, if Liverpool play a 7 out of 10 game, we might probably still lose. So what's your view on it? I think it's... I think the big thing about when you play this Liverpool team this season is you've, you've got to look at yourself first because I think they've there's an intimidating look to them. And I think you've got to be brave. The, the decisions that the Forest players take at the weekend have got to be brave decisions because you can quite easily just get end up with everybody behind the ball and Liverpool running the show. The goals are then inevitable. Um, the injuries are fine, but I've not seen too many areas of weakness since the injury. Players have seen it as an opportunity to come in and, and prove to the, to the manager that, that they're good enough and that they can do the job for the, for the person that's not there. There's a real togetherness within their unit because they want to finish off Jurgen Klopp's last season in style. They know they can't really afford to drop points up against Manchester City, so there's no danger of them losing focus. But, you know, having said that, I, I think Boris will get chances, but they've got to be clinical. I think it's one of those days where you might look back and say, had to take the chances when they came. I don't think they're going to get many, but I think they'll get some. It's just just such a difficult game. But I I think in a way, I hate the term free hit 
but Forest are supposed to lose this match. Liverpool are supposed to win. So it's not as if it's it's a make or break day. If you don't beat Liverpool, you're going to get relegated. If you do beat Liverpool, you're going to stay up. You know, this is, I think it's a good one to get out of the way. I mean, the last thing you want is Liverpool coming with two or three games to go. And all of a sudden you're thinking, well, that's one I can stick a line through. I mean, I, they proved last season that they can beat them. And they got a bit of luck last season. I mean, Van Dijk missed a couple that I still don't know to this day how they didn't go in. Um, but they can. You know, they can. They've scored goals at Anfield against them. They've, they've won a game at home against them. The record at home over the years against Liverpool is, is really good, bizarrely. They've got a really good city ground record against them, which goes back a long way. If People like that kind of thing. But... I just think it's about they've got to they've got to be perfect. They can't make mistakes. Defensively, they've got to be perfect. Concentration's got to be right. They've got to keep the ball well. Everybody's got to make good decisions. And 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 the people that the chances fall to have to be clinical. They're beatable. I mean, they're not this is not a hundred point dominant Liverpool team. This is a really good Liverpool team, but it's also a Liverpool team that's that's lost games this season. So they are beatable and they are vulnerable because of the injuries, but I just think Forest are going to have to be perfect because they, they have the ability, if they're not, to take the game away from you and take it away from you quickly. I was at mm. Brentford the other week and Brentford were okay for about 15 minutes, soaking it up, playing on the counter. But the minute they started to leave gaps, the minute their tanks started to run low and the tide started to creep in, and they maybe didn't make the recovery runs as well as they were making before, spaces started to appear, Liverpool just took them apart and, and they can do that. So it's a dangerous game. I think Forest have got to be perfect and they've got to be brave and they'll need the crowd. The city ground crowd at the weekend is, is vital because I agree with Greg. This is, this is as, as tough a test as they're going to face. Yeah, I mean Van Dyke scares me more than anyone. Actually, he's scoring headers for fun at the moment. Even you know, Luton are a big side; he scored go. against them. Yeah. Chelsea scoring against it. So, and what we discussed our weaknesses. You know what? So, yeah. though, they've got Matt at the minute. They've got players in the team like Connor Bradley, who is playing with such reckless abandon because this is all new to him, and he's such a good player. But nobody's got the passing range of Trent Alexander-Arnold, but he plays the position as competently as he does as an attacker or a defender. So they've got players that have come into the side that have been really impressive in terms of the way they've gone about it. He's equally happy moving into a midfield role as John Stones would do or Trent would do for Liverpool and playing from there. He makes goals, he scores goals. There's no weakness to Trent being out and Connor Bradley being in. He, he's, he's more than able to do that. You've then got a situation where they've got five forward players. So... If you're Cody Gakpo and you're number four or number five, this is your opportunity to say, look, I, I can play in this team. And he's a Dutch international, so he's no slouch. So he's motivated because he wants to be there when the big games come. And this is his chance to impress the manager. Endo's been huge for them. Endo's given them something in midfield that is, is reminiscent to when Fabinho was playing really well. He sits and he lets Alexis McAllister be Alexis McAllister and... He gives them freedom and, and he's, a, he's a key player in that group and he, he'll just dominate that area of the pitch. He won't move. He'll sit there. He'll play through him and he'll facilitate everybody else. It's been a really good year for them in terms of recruitment. And then the young players that have come through um, under Alex Inglethorpe and Nick Marshall in the academy and into the first team play like they're way more experienced than they are. Um, so... There's, there's so much to like about 
where they are and what they're doing. They've been such such an impressive group this season. Yeah, I wasn't sure about Endo when he signed. He looks a bit cumbersome on the ball, but he's settled and looks a proper player now. So you have a look at the um, weekend, and then and then and then because I think you'll say blimey. I, I would say I was the same as you. I looked and thought, strange one that, but he that kind of player in that system is is, is vital, and it, mm. and he, he does it. Jurgen Klopp said the other week he'll play till he's thirty eight because he's such a good footballer. So. Mm. Yeah, because McAllister was doing that at the start of the season. He wasn't so good. Um, I suppose, Greg, our team selection, I think, is going to be fascinating because I was surprised Felipe played 90 minutes last night. Can he do that? Is he is he not playing on Saturday? Is he all right now? Because I kind of would like to see him play. Um, and then Tywo's played 90 minutes and we've only played 45 minutes against Villa. So did he come off tactically? I'm kind of, we were discussing this last night. I'm kind of confused by how they're managing his minutes. So... I assume he's going to play, or does even does Origi play up front because he was bright? The the way we set up is going to be interesting on Saturday, isn't it? Felipe's fit. I mean, Felipe didn't show himself getting tired towards the end of the game. I think you treat Felipe like any other player in the squad now. If he's if he's good enough, he plays. Taiwo was such a strange one. I thought he comes off instead of Origi. Um, Origi was looking sharp. I like how he's starting to link up with Alanga. We saw it at Villa. We saw it last night, you know, just behind the attack as he seems to be finding his his area at the minute. Um, if Tywo is playing 90 minutes still, then he's going to be starting, isn't he? It's a, it's against the team he used to, well, almost play for. And he he's he's hungry. It just, he it was noticeably tired towards the end of the game yesterday. And I was just amazed it, it wasn't him that came off. And it, like I say, he, he keeps getting his minutes in and maybe that's what the, the experts are thinking it's not about that. He just needs minutes for his fitness. So maybe it was a tactical thing, keep him on and and show that he can start and play a full game against Liverpool where it's vital that he, he does play because we do, we need him. We need everyone. <laughs> Probably need 13 or 14 starting. But um, yeah, it, maybe it was a good sign, but he did look tired. He definitely looked tired towards the end of the game. You can see by the way he runs, he de- doesn't seem to be running like he used to as well, but He'll get there. It is just a match fitness thing. We forget how long he was out for. What's, what's your take on the Tyro situation, Fletch? Because he's top class when he's sharp and on it. The, the, the amount of time he's sharp and on it is a problem for Forrest. Can you, I don't know, do you, I guess you have to keep playing him and keep building up the minutes, as Greg says, but other teams need reliable strikers and ours isn't necessarily that reliable, even though he's a, a good player and looks like a great teammate, but there is an issue there, isn't there? Yeah, some players just struggle to stay fit, don't they? And we've seen them. He's not the only one in the Premier League. Um, I think it's a shame because he's got that uncanny, uncanny ability to be in the right place at the right time, hasn't he? It's it's astonishing. It's some strikers, the ball finds them in the box and he's almost got a sixth sense as to where he needs to be to score goals. Um, I think there are limitations to him in, 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 in all-round play. Um, but I think as a, as a penalty box striker, he's, he's got great instincts. Yeah, I mean he's got to play if he's fit. I mean you, you need everybody. This is <laughs> these aren't the these aren't the games now where you start leaving people out. I mean you've got to got to take a risk on one or two, based on the fact there's not really an alternative. Um, I think the Felipe one's interesting because I'm a little bit conflicted that last night you saw um, his. Ability to read a game, his brain, 
his knowledge, his experience, how vital that was to make sure he was in the right place. And I thought he was excellent in that regard last night. But I, I don't worry about the athleticism at the top end of the pitch in the Liverpool team, just how sharp and strong and everything's done quick. But it just concerns me a little bit whether they can, whether they've got, you know, I look at, I look at Musa. I think Moose is the most athletic, the most naturally talented in that regard. I just think he's a difficult one. I think you've got to match up well against Liverpool. I think that that's you've got to think about your matchups because they're so they're so good at the top end of the pitch, speed, pace, power, crisp, sharp. Everything's fluid and fast. You've got to be able to do that. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a big call for the manager the weekend how he puts this team together, what he does. Yeah. Because I think Dan makes an interesting point here. Like it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to judge how well someone's played because Rashford, I mean, a player who looks a shadow of him, himself. He was very easily contained. Um, yeah. Anthony is seems very easily contained in every game he plays. Even though weirdly, I don't think Toflo had his best game. But I thought Nico was really good again. Um, Th- yeah, those I mean, defenders aren't seeing any Anthony's or Marcus Rashford's on Saturday. That's the problem. And Dan yeah. makes the point there. I think that's the point he's making that. This, this is this is that multiplied. Rashford at his best is is the kind of player you're going to see at the weekend in the Liverpool group, but Rashford's not at his best, and Anthony's a busted flush. Garnacho mm. last night I thought was quiet, but I thought they did well against him. But I thought he was the most dangerous. Mm. This is yeah. this is across the board. It, it's it's I don't know. It's it's a matchup nightmare. I mean the manager will know. I mean he's. You know, it was surprising. I, I didn't get to speak on this because I, because I, I wasn't with you. But it looked perfect last week at Villa to play three at the back, and then when you saw the team selection, you thought, "Oh, that's what he's done. That makes a lot of sense." I, I just wonder whether it, it might be time just to try something a bit different against this group, just to just to try and keep them under con- some semblance of control. You can't just play your game against them because they'll play your game better than you. I think you have to have something different at the weekend to try and slow them down. So I don't know what that would be, but I think if you just kind of do what you did last night against them, I don't think it'll be enough. I think there's got to be something different that gives them something to think about on Saturday. Yeah. And I know we've said this before. One of the things I've written down here, Greg, is are the AFCON players an irrelevance till they're back? Because we need like a Sangare figure in midfield. Willy Bolly could have been really good in this game. But we just have to write them off because there's no sign of them coming back at the moment. It might change on Saturday, but it's it's becoming a real source of frustration that they're just not playing these lads. Yeah, I mean, Bolly and I, they've been missed, haven't they? Sangare, we haven't really seen seen much of him to miss yet, have we? So he's not really a concern about when when's he getting back. But yeah, it's strange how they're all injured. You know, that's just our look, isn't it? But we, we're not missing people that haven't, been involved really since the back end of November. Uh, so what we've got is good enough to get points in this league and enough points in this league. <laughs> we've just got to cut out the mistakes as we keep talking about and it'll all come together. Our attacking prowess, the way we can move the ball forwards is frightening sometimes. You know, our, our counter-attacking, we really are starting to nail that. But And we saw it even at Villa to somehow scrape away back into the game. But yeah, we back to the AFCON players. It is just such a strange one how they've all seemed to have come back quietly and just not playing at all. I'd love to know what the injuries are because we haven't really seen or heard much about that either. 
Mm. No, um, Sangari, I think he was on the end of a bad tackle for Mane. But I'm speculating there because that looked like a potential leg breaker and then he kind of hobbled through the rest of the tournament. So, yeah, I guess we just have to write them off. Um, what's your take on Nico Fletch as well? Because he still divides opinion a little bit online, I see. But I've been really impressed with him in general. But I know you've been a fan of Montiel certainly earlier in the season. What's your take on that right-back position now? I think he's done really well. I think he's done really well. I think... Um... I think when he came, the, the view always was he would look better as a wing-back than a full-back. I think that's part of his game that he's had to develop. I think when he's 1v1 defensively against elite players, he can find it difficult. But he's not the only player playing that position in the league that you would say that about. But I think his application, I think he's I think he's, he's, he's been one of our most consistent players since he's been back in the side. And I, I don't think there have been many moments when you're kind of putting your hands over your eyes because of Nico Williams. I think there are bigger issues in the team than him. And I think the way he's developing, as a young player still, who hasn't played a great deal of Premier League football, let's not forget that. I think he's developing nicely. I think players are always going to divide opinion. You know, there'll be players that think Tyro Allen is the best thing since sliced bread and other people who don't think that's the case. Everybody divides opinion. But I think Nico deserves a ton of credit for, for how he's developed under the manager. He seems happy. I think he seems happier under the new regime than maybe he seemed under the old one. I think this maybe suits him, this style of play a little bit more. Um, he likes to get forward. The one thing you know you're going to get from him is absolute effort every time he plays. You know, he gives you everything he's got, runs himself into the ground, very, very enthusiastic. He's got an infectious personality. Um, and I, th I think he's done really well. I think he's, he's been one of the big improvers this season in the Forest group. Yeah, I think he probably has to defend less in the current setup, which suits him. But his defence work yeah. has been really good and his confidence going forwards and his willingness to try something and he, he puts a good ball in. So, yeah, I've been in, impressed with him and I, I think, you know, he's na nailed down that position for now and it's his to lose, certainly. Right, I think that brings us to the close of thing I want to talk about today. Any other business, Greg Mitchell, before we depart? Can we can we go to one of you two first? I've got to find it. Fletch, <laughs> anything you want to say before we depart? Not really. I'm interested to know what Greg's got because he's obviously yeah, sort of like, no, it's not. It's not even that exciting for us. All right. Well, one uh... Hang on. I'll just say then. I'll just say if you've enjoyed this as ever, do us a favor. If you haven't already hit like on this video, hit like, uh, hit subscribe if you're new, uh, give us a good review on iTunes and Apple Spotify, uh, and uh, consider becoming a channel member because that's a growing band uh, and a bit of a community that we've got going, which is great. Right, I, I can't fill any more, Greg. What have you got for us? Right, I've had two messages from uh, the Australian supporters group. They've got a supporters convention down under on Saturday, April the 20th at 6pm at the Pig and Whistle in Riverside, Brisbane. We've got quite a few uh, Aussie fans for this now. Still. That's it, yeah. That's Some same. of them... Uh, oh, look at that. See, they've been hammering us then. And, uh, yeah, so if you're on holiday over there or if you're one of the Aussie fans and it's only a short hop from Sydney to Brisbane, isn't it? I'm sure. I know there's a few over there. Just get down there. I'll, uh, I'll retweet it after this and uh, show people what I'm on about. But, yeah, 20th of April, 6pm. Not even sure what game that is, to be honest, but I'm sure they'll have a great time out there and fair play for them for, for getting it organised. Very good. Was that it? Was it only the one? You said you had two messages. Yeah. No, no. Oh, okay. oh no, it's from the same people, yeah. Excellent. Right, I think we'll leave it there. The carpet fitters that are here, not Gary Bertels, uh, have been pretty quiet, so I should probably cash in my chips and, uh, yeah, 
uh, we shall depart. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with uh, more de detailed Liverpool preview, looking at some possible lineups. That's with uh, Pete Prutz. Uh, there was an invitation for you, Greg. I don't know if you'll be. What about Prutz at half time yesterday? Coming, coming on the pitch, having his little interview, kicking the ball. One Did of he the, get booed? Uh, no, he didn't got clapped. One of the players thought he was a ball boy or something. But yeah, great to see him on the pitch. And uh, he spoke well, which he obviously does. But no, he went down well. It was good to see him. Well, he'll be here tomorrow. You might be here tomorrow, Greg. Then post-match Liverpool. And then uh, Monday, Lewis is on. Uh, and we'll take it from there. Have a look beyond Monday. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, Greg Mitchell. Cheers. Good to see you, Fletch. Good to have you finally back on. And glad I'll you call you back about like May, Greg, I would have thought. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've, left, I've, left the, I've left the Monday in May free, just in case I get the, <laughs> case I get the invitation. When was the Super Bowl? I think it was like two weeks ago. Where was the Super Bowl? Is it, but the Super Bowl isn't irrelevant. You've had about 50 podcasts I decided last time I was invited on. Know, we do do six a week now. Yeah, <laughs> I can't get on any of them if you notice. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. No, you haven't. You're just piling in on me. I'm feeling under siege now. Yeah. If there, if there was an down. HR department in the, for this podcast, I'd take you with me to the meeting, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've had a few meetings with HR. I won't go into that. <laughs> I'd take you with me. And we'd, we'd oust David. I'm an expert yeah. at the minute. David's out. I'd be on my own. The, the HR department would be against me then because I'd be isolated, this teamed is, up yeah. on. Right, Fletch, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Thank, Thank you very much. Good to be here. Good. Uh, thanks for everyone's company. Good to have you with us as ever. We shall be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. So do join us for that. Uh, in the meantime, have a good day and we shall see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.